So we are at my session. I'm going to take the next hour or so, and then we'll go straight into some Q&A from there. Um, so my name is Wes Hone. Uh, this, uh, this whole event has been put on by you know, both you know, Dave and myself as organizations, along with John and, and Alan and so forth. So it's been, it's been have you had, you had a good day so far? Have you oh, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe learned something? Okay, cool. All right. Well, they were the fossils that went before me. And so <laughs> now we should be able to bring some young energy to the table and, uh, and go from there. So that was a dig at John for my joke, his joke about me wanting to be older. So they just wish they could be younger. Um, so uh, I stand here today under the authority of my pastor, Pastor Len Rosso from the Gold Coast. Uh, he's been my pastor for a decade and uh, knows exactly what's going on, is, a, is my biggest champion. Um, uh, I'm very fortunate. I've got a pastor that doesn't want me on the board of church or at, you know, at the working bee. He wants me in the marketplace doing what we do best. So, uh, so I'm very fortunate that I have that kind of spiritual covering. But uh, that's my accountability line. That's who I uh, submit to if you like and um, and it, it's a real joy he's a he's an amazing man um, so I'm gonna give you a little bit of my story as well um, I'm gonna give you a little bit of the story I'm gonna give you a bit of a testimony what does my assignment look like how has it changed and then we're gonna do an exercise well, you're gonna do an exercise I'm not I don't work on weekends but you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do an exercise um, you, you might be able to tell from my accent I'm a hybrid I was born in London or just outside of London uh, and, uh, and came to Australia when I was 14. So English by birth, but Aussie by choice. Um, my whole family came over. I grew up in one of those families where everything on the outside looked amazing, but on the inside, the whole thing was falling apart. So my, my, on my eighth birthday, my father decided he didn't like my mother as much as he did once, and he, he split, and uh, you know, that, that throws up a whole bunch of challenges. Uh, some of you can probably relate to that, you know, in a split home or something like that. New guy comes along, he was amazing, they're still together now, so that was great to have that stability from the second dad. Um, but you know, like, you, you take a lot of that stuff on. I, when I was eight, and, uh, you know, and, 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 and it throws up some challenges, but, but in retrospect, it's amazing what gold you can get from the situations that arise in your life that aren't pretty at the time. So you go through that experience, and then when I was 12, um, my parents sat me and my brother down at a, at a dining room table one night. It was England, so it was raining. It was horrible. And, um, and they said, we think we'd like to move to Australia. As if, you know, I didn't even know what that meant, you know. And uh, I knew it was a country, but that was about the extent of it. And, um, and me and my brother were looking at each other like, why would we do that? Like, this is England. We live here. It's where we're born. Everything's good. Anyway, they played their trump card. They had a coffee table book. And the centerfold page was the Surface Paradise Beach. And they opened it. And me and my brother looked at each other and said, we think we'd like to go. So um, that, that's how long it took. Uh, that, was, that was during the recession that we had to have in the 90s. So it took a couple of years for us to get here because we had to sell houses and my parents had to sell their stuff. We got here and, uh, and you know, again, like you're in a foreign country, you don't know anybody. It, you know, it's a little bit of survival of the fittest. My brother's too, me and my brother aren't getting on because he's too busy trying to fit in. I'm too trying to fit in. My parents are trying to get jobs. So, you know, very fractured. But um, there's so much gold in those situations when you, once you can learn how to harness it. And, um, you know, fast forward and fast forward and fast forward. I, I got to, started a bunch of businesses, uh, got a bit restless, went back to London in 99, built a couple of businesses over there, came back, started the businesses again, and that became the pattern. And, um, you know, when I look back now, all of those situations where you feel rejected or you're alone or you have to fend for yourself, they're phenomenal, phenomenal. 
Because right now, the Lord can drop me in any situation. Any situation. I'm not bothered at all. Not bothered. Nothing weirds me out. And I don't get scared. All right? So, so there is so much good stuff that happens if you choose to look back over the crap and just go, cool, how's that going to help me moving forward? And uh, it really dawned on me when I was asked by a board to go in. They, they were, there, were six, there was 12 people on the board and they were at gridlock on a decision. Six on one side for yes, six on the other side for no. They couldn't work out what to do. They brought in the external expert. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just this consultant that was going to go and help. And I remember I sat through one hour presentation from one six, one hour presentation from the other six. And I mean, I mean internally I'm going, oh, I don't know either. <laughs> They're both really valid points, you know. Like I better come up with an answer. And uh, this was the first real time that I experienced a supernatural walk in the boardroom because they, they looked to me after their pitches and went, what do we do? And inside I'm going, oh, shanda manda, shanda manda, like, you know, I'm trying to pray for some divine answer. And um, I, I, I grabbed the, the whiteboard markers, I turned, and I'm walking to the whiteboard and I'm like, Lord, you've got three seconds. <laughs> right? and, I, and, and it was almost an out-of-body experience where I drew the answer. I drew a mathematical equation that was going to give them what they wanted and them what they wanted and everyone was happy, you know. But all, all that to say that being in front of a board of people that I don't even know, like nothing, nothing you, don't, you don't get fearful anymore of stuff like that. You know, you can be dropped into any situation. There's so much good stuff in amongst all the crap. So, so I was a business guy, built and sold businesses. I had no idea about this thing called faith, literally no idea. Uh, no one in my family line has ever been a believer as far back as I can see. Um, I just thought they were Bible bashers and a bit weak, to be totally honest. Like, that was, that was my opinion. I was not educated. And um, this one particular day, this, this is random. One particular day, I wake up and I'm like, hmm, there are Christians everywhere around me. They're everywhere. They're pestering me. They're in this group. They're in this group. They're in this group. They're in this group. And they were all nice people. And, and that was enough for me to go, huh, there might be something in this. That, that, that was my awakening. I was like... That's, that's, that's not normal. They've never been around me ever. Now they're all around me and, you know, trying to, whatever they're doing. And uh, <laughs> uh, there's got to be something to this. Anyway, this, this brave young girl, full on for the Lord, just out of high school, goes, points her bony finger and goes, you should go to church. <laughs> you know, just young evangelist. Hadn't been in the world long enough to have it snuffed out, you know. And um, you should come to church. I was like, okay, I'll go. I'll go. And I went, and I, I remember, like, I had no comprehension of the faith, none. And in fact, I did. I, I met her in the car park, because I wasn't going in on my own, right? I met this girl in the car park, and, uh, and she, you know, we turned up, and I met her there, and she says, uh, everything okay? I'm like, yep. She goes, any questions? I'm like, no. And then I said, uh, I remember something you guys do with goats. That was the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was walking into some slaughter or some burnt offering thing. That was the extent of my knowledge. Anyway, I went inside and it was nothing like that. And it was just a whole bunch of people that really wanted to know me without wanting something from me. And I was, I was amazed. And basically fell in love that, that night with whatever this thing was. I couldn't put it into words. It was just amazing. Um, so that was a uniting church in, uh, in Springwood, halfway between the Gold Coast and Brisbane. There was a uniting church there. And that, and that was perfect because... It was very conservative, very quiet kind of church, you know. If I went to one of your chandelier swinging Pentecostals on that first night, I would have been freaking out, right? So, um, you know, with your rubber ducky, rubber ducky stuff and all that that you do. So, so I went that one night and literally um, 
I, I couldn't wait the 168 hours to go back. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I, I was like, what did I just experience? This is the best thing in the world, you know. I went back the next week and, uh, and sat through the service and I was amazed. I, I, was, I was blown away by whatever this thing was. And um, so it was the Uniting Church. They don't do altar calls. Um, I think they've probably given up. But um, so I went home. <laughs> I went home that night and threw myself on the floor and just went, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, Lord, but I've made a pig's ear of my life. And, you know, I invite you in. And, uh, and that became the journey that started. So I was in business beforehand thinking that. The reason why you go into business is have lots of cars, nice houses, overseas trips, and probably more than one wife. <laughs> and you laugh, but that was the social engineering that society just assumes when you go into business. You have your starter wife, you trade her in a little bit later, and you go and get a couple more. So um, it's brutal, but that's like if you're not part of the faith, and that's fairly, that's fairly standard. So I came to faith. I'm like, okay, Lord, you've, yeah, I was a business guy. I wanted to know about finance. So I literally started reading my Bible. I want, I, want, I want to know everything about business, how to trade, leadership, finance. I was pulled through my Bible reading about that stuff. Couldn't care less about anything else. I just wanted to know that stuff. And um, one week after I came to Christ, I said to, I said to the Lord, okay, I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. What do you want me to do? I was looking for a mandate for my life, which, is, which I heard was something that you're supposed to do when you're a believer. The Lord says to me very clearly, you will start a training academy for Christian entrepreneurs. I'm like, oh, great. Better work out who you are then. So for the next decade, I didn't do anything to do with that. I just knew that's what I had to go and do. So for the next decade, I just poured over the Bible, read stories, learned about it, learned about finance, looked at what was going on in the marketplace, what was working, what wasn't, looked at churches, what's working, what isn't, most of it. And so we just rolled on and on and on. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Um, I was typically, I was consulting. So I had a coaching business, which I launched in late 2006. Um, and that was, that was amazing. We, we won most of the industry awards for business coaching. We, our clients were in BRW and Telstra Business Awards. And th there was a real favor on what we were doing with our coaching. And our clients were really prospering. And our clients weren't believers. They were just anybody that could write a check. You know, if they could fog a mirror and write a check, we, we took them on. And business was going really, really well. About that time, I'm, I'm like a typical entrepreneur. You know, like if it ain't broke, we break it. Right? Does anybody relate to that? Like you just end up sabotaging everything you're doing because you want to be an entrepreneur. So in 2009, this guy comes to me, so I'm coaching, but in 2009, this guy comes to me with this idea and, uh, and, he, and he pitched it to me and it was terrible, but I managed to add the commercial arm to it and change it and it became a, a great business. And so this guy, Dale, and I built a company called iSystemize International and it was basically a systems, it was a, it was a systems manual based on video, so no paper. So you basically recorded all the operations of your business into bite-sized videos, put them into our software in the cloud, and you could look at everybody's individual role was made into video so they could emulate their role and train people and, and so forth, induct staff. So that was 2009, we took that into five countries around the world and uh, I sold out in 2011. So our sales were, I, didn't, I wasn't passionate, I just wanted a new challenge. So in 2011, when sales were going gangbusters, the, the guy that I was in partnership with come to me and said, I, I wanna take it in a different direction. I said, well, I like checks. So we'll meet tomorrow for breakfast and we'll agree a price. So we did that and I sold out of that business and went back to coaching. So I just built and sold businesses. Like my whole goal is like start a business and then sell it after it's profitable, you know, and, and make some money. And, uh, and so that translated into coaching and that skill set of being able to get a brand new startup to get traction quickly became so valuable for us. And then we started teaching it to others and, and you know, right, right through to today.
<clears throat> so I'm a business coach, I've come to the faith, and now I'm basically working with hundreds and hundreds of different businesses, right? Hundreds and hundreds of different businesses from all walks of life, with all different experiences, in all different industries, helping them grow. And I'm getting to spot what does work and what doesn't work, all right? I'm getting this, I'm getting like an MBA on steroids, all right, that's actually going to make some, some change in the world. Like, you know, for those of you who've done an MBA, it's 50 grand, four years of your life and never use it again, all right? Whereas this was like real world practical training, rubber hits the road, what works, what doesn't. And I'm, I'm going somewhere with all these stories because this all comes together for assignment later on. These are all the experiences, as you saw with Dave, all his early experiences led to what he was doing. John, all his early experiences led to what he's doing. And it was the same with me. And so, yeah, so in 2012, I'm coaching. You know, we'd been doing it for whatever it was, six years at that point. And I was really unfulfilled, right? Full on for the Lord, committed to church. But my business was highly profitable but I was like, oh, this is, like, it, it was heavy. I was, I didn't enjoy it anymore. I, you know, I didn't want to get up in the morning. Not, not like depressed, but I was just like, oh, this is, it's just so easy. It's just routine. <clears throat> anyway, so what do you do when you're highly profitable, but you can't be bothered anymore? Well, what I did was I doubled my prices. Thinking that'll get me motivated, right? Make some more money. So I did that. Went back to all my clients, doubled my prices. Most of them stayed. Now I'm coaching. I'm making twice as much money. I'm twice as unfulfilled. I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? And then the prophetic words started coming in from our intercessors. It's time to start that thing the Lord told you about. These people know nothing. It's time to start that thing the Lord told you about. And I'm like, Bing, he wants me to start the training academy for Christian entrepreneurs. So uh, late 2012, I was like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll go and do that. And we'll, 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 we'll get these Christian entrepreneurs and we'll take them on a journey and we'll train them up and we'll get their business prospering and then we'll teach them how to fund things and give that money away and we'll change culture. Great. So 2013, January, uh, we secured a little space that we could have. We got in there, painted it, put aircon in, bought tables, chairs, couches, um, prayer rooms, and this was on the Gold Coast, and, and built that, and it was great. We had, a, we had a phenomenal first 12 months. We were praying for people, and da-da-da-da, it was great. And, uh, and we had our first event. The Lord said to me, I want you to hold a conference. We called it the Kingdom Business Summit. It was only on the Gold Coast. And our first year had 28 people. And I know it was 28 because the way I did it, I, I handpicked 28 people I thought would say yes. I called them and I rang them. I said, be, be at this event, this place, this time on this date. It's totally free. And the reason, I, I never produced a website. I never made a flyer. I never told anybody else because if it sucked, I never wanted anybody to know, right? That was... <laughs> That was, my, that was my thinking, was like, if I, if I, if I promote this you know, on Facebook and, and, and it's really bad, then it's going to be bad for my reputation. So I didn't. I just did it all covertly. And we did two whole days of training, trained them on practical business stuff, and, and the Lord asked us to finish with prophetic ministry. So I brought people in, gifted and recognized in the prophetic, and I did two days of training, and then we had prophetic ministry. And, and people were just, people were amazed, set free, trained, their businesses prospered, everything was going well. So, okay, Lord, well, we'll do it next year. You know, like, that was really cool. That felt great. Go back to business now. Start making some more money. Business is prospering. Next year rolls around, and we have 96 people come to the, to the Kingdom Business Summit. Still one place on the Gold Coast. And I know these numbers because the story means so much to me. 96 people. Two whole days of training, prophetic ministry, people set free. Amazing. 
Next year rolls around, 198. And I know that because we couldn't fit any more in. They were like sardines, all right? And I couldn't care less because it's a free event. So you do what you like when it's a free event, right? You can say what you like and you're not controlled by anything. And if they don't like it, they can leave. So 198 people trained two days, prophetic ministry. People set free is amazing. Next year rolls around. Our business is prospering. Next year rolls around. 400 turn up at the convention center on the Gold Coast. We have to keep kind of get bigger rooms. So we hire the convention center on the Gold Coast, these upstairs rooms, put 400 people in there, train them for two whole days, bring in a prophetic team, yada, yada, yada. And at the same time, every single year that this is going on, I look back to my business, my core cash flow business, and it's doubling. So I'm giving my business less and less and less attention while I'm doing all these meetings for free, praying for people, you know, like putting on all these events. My business is getting less attention, but it's doubling, minimum doubling, sometimes two and a half to three times the size each year in the background. The next year, the Lord, I'm about to do Kingdom Business Summit 2016, and the Lord says, I want you to take it out now. Can't just be in the Gold Coast. What about all the poor people that can't fly, can't afford to get to these events? You hold it on the Gold Coast. What about them? And I'm like, Lord, I don't need more reasons to lose money. You know, like... This is a free event that we put on, we fund, we, we you know, you can't buy a ticket. And uh, the Lord's like, well, you know, you're prospering, so you'll be fine. So the next year we do the Gold Coast, we do Sydney and we do Perth. Okay, and we had 990 people turn up across three cities. I look back at the end of the year, our business has doubled again, our core businesses. And I'm like, Lord, I'm, I'm getting what you're saying. I'm getting it, finally, I'm a bit slow. I'm slower than the, the bishop and the, and the deacon. I'm a bit slower, right? <laughs> and... Uh, and, and then this year, we did Sydney, Gold Coast, Melbourne, Perth, and you know, nearly 2,000 people or 1,500 and something turned up across four cities. And it was our first year of doing one in Melbourne. Hired some rooms at the convention center and put about 300 people in there and trained them for two whole days and brought a prophetic team. And did anybody go to that? Was anybody there? Yeah, awesome. Not enough of you. Okay, good. Um, so look back at the end of the year, everything's prospering. You know, we have a, we have a company that we have a bunch of property that we hold on the Gold Coast, <clears throat> that's prospering. You know, we have our core businesses, that's prospering. We have our other business interests, they're prospering. And <clears throat> it's, it's very obvious to me that now when I look back in the scripture, every single time somebody engaged their assignment and did the Lord's work, the Lord looked after the rest of their stuff. And of course, it makes total sense, right? That, you know, if, you, if we're about his business, he'll be about ours. And, and so this is, this is a, a living example of that journey. Every time we do our assignment, I look back and our businesses are prospering. It's counterculture. It doesn't make sense. You know, and, and, and I don't tell you any of these numbers to impress you at all because there's people in here doing way bigger stuff than me. But that first year, that first year was uh, $450 was what it cost me to run that first two-day summit. Bit of room higher. I think I'd be hiding a little microphone and that was it, $450. And I remember thinking, oh man, do I really want to, you know, be putting on this? That's my money. I'm not selling tickets. That's my, this is a lost leader. You know, like this is, this is going to cost me money, you know? And then I look back and I was like, oh, we've prospered greatly. You know, maybe that's a fluke. Let's do it again. You know, and the next year was like three and a half grand because it was a bigger room and I flew somebody up from Melbourne, uh, Sydney to, to come and talk. And then the next year and the next year. And this year just gone, it cost me 65 grand right, to put on those four events. But our businesses prosper. By the way, that's, I'll be looking back one day laughing at 65,000 going, I wish it was 65,000 now. <laughs> so it, I have learned to trust the process 
that actually I couldn't care what that number is. Yeah. I don't care. The Lord could, because the Lord's never going to ask you to go into debt or anything mad like that. So it's always going to be an, an amount of money that is available, right? It could be anything. I think you get to the point where you understand assignment that your whole life is sanctified, including your money. You, you can have it all, Lord. Like, what do you want me to do? You can have my time. You can have my attention. You can have my finance. You know what I've got. You know what I don't have. Let's, you know, what do you want? And, uh, and you learn to trust that journey and trust that process. And so these assignments are there. And, and that's an assignment. Th these kingdom business summits, and we run one in the US last year by invitation. And we've been begging to go, people are begging to just go to New Zealand and, and do one over there. And, and uh, Adelaide, they, they're screaming for one, but trying to fit it all in. Um, so all that to really say that it's, you get to the point where it's an absolute joy to do your assignment. It's a delight to be able to do the thing that the Lord has called you to do. And, and the other assignments come and go, right? So, so I've made a commitment to the Lord. I'll fund Kingdom Business Summits until nobody needs them anymore, right? Because I, I kind of have a plan that it won't be an event I do for the rest of my life because everyone will get it, <laughs> do their assignment, and then we won't need to have these silly conferences, right? That's, that's kind of my plan. But I'll do it until it's needed to be done. Like a, this, is not a, this is not a, I'll give it a go. This is like, this is a commitment that I made at the age of 33. I'm 38 now. I'll do it until I'm 98, right? So, so that whole process has been a real joy because I always look back and see that we prosper. Just for example, you know, I've never had a bad tenant in an investment property. Never had a bad one. Never had anybody do damage. Never had anybody, you know, not pay rent. I've never had any of that. And I, and I almost have a certain level of confidence slash arrogance that as long as I'm doing the Lord's work, I expect that to be the case. And, and understand that I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make the Lord do something. I just know how the kingdom works. It's counterculture. I had to put the money out before there was ever any gain. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, when we make loads of money, we'll start putting on events. It doesn't work that way. It's the other way around. You know, the Lord's testing the heart going, will you do it now even though it don't make sense? And then watch what I do behind the scenes and then it will make sense, right? So that's our story. So then, <clears throat> so we've been doing this a long time, coaching lots of people, getting great results. And then at the end of July last year, started to get that uneasy feeling again, like a bit like, yeah, you know, it's a bit routine. It's a bit mundane. I know what this feeling is because I've had it before. Lord, what are you doing? I was smarter. I was able to shortcut. I didn't have to wait years. I was able to just go, what are you saying to me, Lord? And then my wife and I, in, in one text message, um, I said to her, I think we've got to take our message on the road. She sends back a photo of a caravan. And I've got to tell you, I thought caravanning people were weird, right? I thought they all had small hands and smelt like cabbage. Because I'd been to the fairgrounds and stuff like that, right? And I immediately wrote back, okay. And that's how fast it was done. So I went from, you know, nice home, nice office, cruisy business, doing our assignment, to there was a new assignment that came out of left field. And it was to take our message on the road and, and fully funded. You, you can't make an offering. You can't pay for us to come. You, we'll, we'll fund everything on our trip. So, uh, so it goes a little bit like this. So, so within one month from the 1st of August, which is when we decided to go, I had to go and work out how to buy a caravan. I had no idea what one cost, what was included, how did it work, how do you get a toilet. You know, if, there, if it's one toilet that includes a shower, how are the kids going to have a thing while I'm trying to have, you know, like, I was like, oh man, I've got to learn. And like, like, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I, 
I can't do that stuff slowly. So I went to a caravan and camping show. One day I had four hours to make a decision. So I looked at 500 caravans in four hours, did a quick mental stock take of everything that you get with them and then chose two. And then did negotiations on two and bought one. And then on the 1st of September, so four weeks later, we sold everything we owned. We, we kept our houses uh, and I kept uh, one of my nice cars, but I, we sold everything, plates, cutlery, clothes, kids, like the whole thing. <laughs> and we set out and, and that's it, right? That's, that's, uh, that was us. We did that for seven months full time with a seven-year-old, a two-year-old and a 10-week-old. Hmm. So that's interesting because she had colic and cried every night for 17 weeks <laughs> in a tin box. That'll test your faith. By the way, that photo there is down on the Mornington Peninsula where we finished. So we, from the Gold Coast, we drove to Cairns. From Cairns, we did 37 evening events through the country, all the way down Queensland, New South Wales, Canberra. Uh, someone's got to go there to try and fix up those bureaucrats. Back out. <laughs> back out to Victoria and all the way down to Mornington and then we kind of came through the country in January, February and we did Dubbo and Wagga Wagga and those kind of places, right? Beautiful parts of the world. Wagga Wagga is so nice they named it twice, right? <clears throat> it's not really that nice, but anyway, that's, that's separate. And, um, but, but all I'm trying to highlight here is, you know, assignments do change. There are short ones that the Lord wants done and, um, and, and we have to be obedient, right? You know, like Dave said, like what would have happened if, 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 if those eight blokes had done their drop two, drop two, drop two, and then he finally got there and he bottled out? What would happen? What would have happened if, if one of the guys on the team completely dropped the ball? Well, the, the mission wouldn't have happened. The terrorists would still be coming and there'd be a thousand more people dead and raped and whatever, 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 right? It was relying on him to be obedient to what he had to do to complete the task. I don't know what the outcome would have been if we didn't do the caravan trip. I do know that there would be a thousand entrepreneurs in regional Australia who would have had no idea about kingdom business because no one's ever bothered to go there and tell them. All right, and that's what we chose to go and do. But we set out on an 18 month journey and after seven months needed a marriage break. Not a break in our marriage, but just something to keep it going. Because <laughs> it, you know it takes its toll when you live in a cracker box uh, at full time. And so Kimberly and I looked at each other and we said, okay, well, we don't want the adventure to end, but we want a bit more space. There's only so many times you can bang knees and elbows and stuff like that trying to get dressed before it really gets to your head. So we just said, okay, we could live anywhere. Where do we want to live? And we, we just basically drove to Port Macquarie and we said, we're going to live here for 12 months. So that was in February. In February, uh, and we, like, I needed healing, right, after seven months in that thing. Like, I'm talking like... <laughs> People, I get people say to me, I'd love to travel the country in a caravan. Yeah, because you haven't done it. That's the only reason why you love it, right? But it's been six months now since we parked up and I started saying to Kimberly, I, I think the Lord really wants us to finish what we started. And she's like, yeah, I agree, as painful as it is. So in February this year, we'll, we'll, we'll probably go again and do the whole of Victoria and South Australia and other parts of Queensland, do it all over again. And we, we made a commitment to go. We made a commitment to some, some people and some churches that we would go to their towns and, and for whatever reason couldn't fit it in. So I think the Lord's kind of holding me to my word that we will go. So got to go and do it all again, which will be, which will be uh, next year. 
which is yay fun for me because I've got to keep going to these little towns and then working out how to fly out to go and see all our clients in the major cities on the quarterly basis. So it's a, it's a, it's a mission, to be fair. It's a total mission. But, you know, we, it, it's been amazing to raise up all those people that never heard. That. We went to towns that never even, they didn't even know that Christianity and business even go together. They're, they're, you know, they're running these completely segregated lives where they run a business Monday to Friday and they go to church because they're kids in youth group and they couldn't care less. You know, they'll throw some money in the tin when they make a profit and that's as engaged as they were. And it was almost like we just lit this little fire everywhere we went. You know, some rooms had five people, some rooms had 300. And these little fires, it was, a, it was amazing to watch that journey happen. And so, yeah, we'll go again and, and do that. And, you know, and, and then at the same time, it, just recently, I feel the Lord saying, I've got another little assignment. The assignment of the summits will stay forever. I've got this other little assignment, you know, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because we haven't executed. Like, I'm, I'm not going to talk about something that hasn't been done. But just to know, there's another little one coming for us. Um, well, it's not so little, but, it, but in the grand scheme of things, it is. So once we've executed on that and we've got a you know, testimony of how it's changed culture, I'll, I'll report back because I think it's important to know. But, you know, every time we do this, our business prosper. Like, it's a beautiful thing when the Lord says, I want you to go and buy a caravan, a big four-wheel drive, pack your family up and go. And you don't have to ask permission. I don't have to do a Kickstarter campaign. I don't have to go cap in hand to a wealthy person to ask for help. We can fund it all in-house, right? And that only happens. The only reason why we were able to go and buy, you know, if you add the cost of the summits to the cost of a caravan, the cost of a car, it was about $250,000 we spent last year doing our assignment. And that's not to impress you. There's people here doing more. Just to say that, that because of our obedience in the early years, our businesses were prospering. And, and, we, and, and the other thing that goes along with this is I don't need much. You know, one of the things that business people in the kingdom need to catch is you, if, if your lifestyle is going up at the same rate as your business is going up, you're in a whole world of pain because there's none left over for anybody else. You know, you just end up getting another BMW and another house and another thing and another Mandor or Pandor or whatever, you know, like, and, and there's never. So, you know, like, you only need, a, you only need three meals a day and wear one pair of shoes. I mean, so every time our business increased, we had cash left over, cash that was available to be used to do our assignment. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, because when the Lord says go, four weeks later, we're on the road. Now, I don't know what the future holds, um, but I'm fairly confident that, that the thing, as long as we're diligent, as long as we seek the Lord on the opportunities that come, as long as we're good stewards of what comes, it, it's just going to keep going in the same direction. It's just going to keep going in the same direction. It's just, why would it change? Why would it change? And, uh, and that's super exciting. Um... So, so why do we do all of this? I, I personally believe that as business people, as entrepreneurs, we need to catch the revelation of we go into business for two things, finance and influence in equal measure. That's the important part. We are doing all of this for finance and influence in equal measure. And I say that because, you know, I've heard a lot of the speaking and training that goes on around the place. I've heard people say to me, people before profits. It's people before profits. You've got to be good to people. Don't worry about making a profit. You've got to be good to people. I'm a businessman. If you're not making a profit, you can't be good to people next year. Right? It's gone. It's finished. Does that make sense? And I'm like, that doesn't work. It sounds good. It sounds like a great Sunday message, but it doesn't practically play out in the marketplace. People before profits. 
So, um, and then I've heard the other thing is, oh, well, as long as you're maximizing profit and giving some to the church, you've ticked the box. So, and there's plenty of Christians that will cross any moral boundary to make a profit. And as long as they tithe on it, they feel like it's all sanctified. Both of those don't work. We, we have to find that really nice balance between, between making a profit and we need to make profit. We need to be unapologetic. You know, this, by the way, this isn't a prosperity message. This is a faith message because I'm asking you to go out of your way, build a big business, work hard and give it away. You know what I mean? Not go and buy yourself some mega mansion and live happily ever after. I'm asking you to do something bigger than that with it, right? That actually helps other people instead of serves your own interest. So if we go into business purely for profit, then we will steamroll relationships to achieve that outcome. But if we go for, um, if we go for influence without profit, you don't get credibility. If you go and build a profitable business and then you start to look at your position wherever you are and you've got to ask yourself the question, where's the influence I have today? Because you, you all have more influence than you are using right now, irrespective of the level of business that you have. You all could have more influence in the world around you, wherever that be, right? You all could. That could be, I need to go start serving on the PNC and the local committees and the community thing. And why do I say this? Because we need to start to bring kingdom culture to these places, right? That's, that's what we do. But ultimately, there's, there's influence of just being good and then there's influence of changing culture. And like Dave said, there is, there's a culture in Australia all over the earth, but there's a culture in Australia right now that is all about self-interest. What do I get out of this? How do I make more? What's in this for me? And people do very little if there's nothing in it for themselves, okay? And that's what Jesus came to do away with. You know, he came at a, a very corrupt time in history where, you know, the government and business leaders were the most corrupt and the, the church, government and business leaders were the most corrupt people of the time. And he came, the kingdom is at hand, repent, 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 right? You, know, you guys know that, you know your story. And, you know, the Bible tells us, live a life in keeping with repentance, that doesn't mean saying sorry when you make a mistake. That's one level of it. But it's about turning the other way and operating with the other spirit. It's actually doing the opposite. That's what repentance is. So in a corrupt world where everyone's maximizing self-interest, what he's asking us to do is do the opposite. Think about other people. Making sure that we do think about other people and prospering them and them, like even to our own expense and to our own detriment, being our brother's keeper. That's the culture that the Lord wants. So when it comes to assignment, the Lord would put some things on your heart and we'll talk about those in a minute. But, but we really need to see this through, all the way through to whatever the good works is, to how does it actually change culture? How can we get rid of corruption? How can we get rid of Babylon out of our society and replace it with um, as Dave would say, caring, sharing, and universal prosperity. And I use those words because I don't see the point in coming up with new ones. We may as well have a common language amongst ourselves. Dave's come up with them, caring, sharing, and universal prosperity. I'm just like, we may as well stick with the same one rather than trying to work out semantics. We, we need to build businesses for the sake of funding projects that get rid of corruption and get rid of Babylon. And if enough of us do that at scale, and if enough of, like, 
See, see when, you, when you think about what that assignment is and you're gonna go fund it at whatever level you're at today, small amounts, big amounts, doesn't matter. It, starts, it started small for everybody. Jesus is gonna look, look after the rest of your stuff. I, I promise you, I see it all the time. Our client, I force my clients to do this. Okay, they're only half the guys in the room that are part of our world. You don't even know this yet, but I'm gonna be forcing you to do your assignment. Like, like do it or don't come back type thing. Um, and the Lord's going to, we see it time and time again where the Lord prospers what they're doing and it's, it's an amazing thing to watch. So this whole concept of corruption is, that, that's the goal, you know. That, that's the goal, that's the end game that Jesus wanted. And, uh, and that's got to be the game we played. No one's ever gone for this before. Actually, that's not true. Solomon had a crack. Uh, Joshua had a crack. But, but in modern history, no one's ever even had an attempt at trying to get rid of corruption. We've all thought that if we sponsor kids, everyone feels good, we're winning. Or if we, you know, give to our local church, then somehow that, that's going to fix the problem. And it doesn't. It usually just means they get a better building or some new chairs, right? So, and um, not that that's bad, but um, it's certainly not strategic. Um, so, so we're out here, we're doing our assignment. And, and so all I really want to do with you now is I want you to think about you. You've heard my story of how my experiences and this and life skills have, you know, have have kind of worked together for good. You've heard it from Dave and you've heard it from John. Um, once you get your head around this, life actually becomes a really interesting game because your faith takes on a real meaning when you are actually walking in supernatural, doing something that's counter, counter, like counterintuitive, like giving money away before it's come in, for example, seeing the Lord bless what you're doing like you will wake up every morning, you will not have another bad day. When you're, you might have a bad five minutes, but you won't have a bad day. Because you, you can see that you're part of something so much greater. And it gives you, it gives you the fire in your belly. I meet a lot of Christians who, they, they're, very, they're very stagnant. They're, you know, they're, they're boring. They, they look like they've been sucking on lemons for too many years. They got miserable, right? <laughs> and um, you start doing your assignment, you won't have that because you're, every, everything you've ever learnt on Sunday will kind of start to make sense because you're acting it out, right? So, you know, for us, I went to my wife a little while ago and I said, listen, I want to start an entire organization. I want to start an entire business. We're never going to take a cent from it. We'll fund its startup. We're never going to take a cent and everything it produces, we're going, to, we're going to use to fund strategic initiatives and we're going to give it all away. That's a test that not many will pass because everyone's like, well, if I'm putting in my effort, that's my money. That's for my, I need a new thing. I want to go on a cruise. I want a car. I, that's the test. Will you actually get to the point where you don't need any more and you'll do it all for the kingdom? Okay, so we set up a, an investment company that invests in other businesses and the dividends will go to giving away stuff and, and funding projects, right? Isn't that, so that, all that to say that all I'm trying to do is talk out of testimony. I don't have the, the most amazing story. They're just my stories, uh, just like Dave and John have theirs. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. You know, you can see that we're, we're pretty happy-go-lucky guys and, and have a bit of fun on the way. And uh, we, we take our assignment seriously, but we also just, just have a good fun. You know, we all met for dinner last night, Dave, John, and the two fossils and me, and we just had a good yarn. And uh, they got tired early and had to get a glass of milk and go to bed. But <coughs> I'm sure they'll have something smart to say when we come up later, but uh, I'll be finishing with the mic today. So, um. All right, so I want to go through a bit of a formula with you. Um, I, wa I want you to write some stuff down in your notebook. I want, I, want to, I want to basically ask a question, explain it a little bit, and then give you a couple of minutes to write down your answers, okay? 
and everybody's will be different. You can't fail this test. Well, you can, you can not do it. But that's the only way. Like, if you write down your answers, they are right for you, and that's what the Lord has been showing you, okay? So don't worry about this. And it doesn't, like, don't, don't cheat off somebody else. Like, that doesn't work, okay? Because it's your assignment, all right? So, um, so we'll go with that. All right, my first part is this. <clears throat> what do you find easy that others find hard? What do you find easy that others find hard? I'm going to explain it very quickly before you write the answer. So, like, for me, I, I find... I find public speaking easy. But statistically, more people would rather die than do public speaking. I'd rather do public speaking than die, right? So, <laughs> so it's, just, it's just something that naturally lends itself to me. For example, I absolutely love, love reading financial statements, right? So you go and get a, a listed company, I'll download their, you know, their financial reporting for the year and sit me in a corner with a cup of tea I'm the happiest man in the world, right? I can tell you everything that's going on in the business, the good, the bad, the ugly, where their issues are, and I never have to speak to somebody else, okay? Just because I love that stuff. But there are certain things that aren't, aren't naturally very easy, okay? Like, um, like singing or musical instruments. Right? I couldn't think of anything worse. Luckily, the Lord likes everything, like every sound that we make, right? So luckily, but um, like, there, I, I, you know, you'd never put me on the, the singing ministry. That's, that's for sure, all right? And no way, if you wanted people to come back, you'd, you'd never do it, right? So there are certain things that I naturally find easy that other people find hard. But what is it for you? What do you find easy that other people find hard, all right? I want you to write down at least five things. Let's go. All right, very good. The second part, <clears throat> what are the passions that you have, okay? Now, I want to talk into this for a second. Um, because I'm pretty sure that most of us, our top three answers would be God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> Bible, church, and prayer time. Great. I hope they are. If they're not, you're in the wrong room, right? <laughs> Outside of the obvious ones. And it's okay that the answer to this could be anything. I don't want the church answer on Sunday where you put on your smiley face and nod at the right things and say the right thing. I don't want that answer. It's not going to help anybody. There are some certain passions that are put inside of you that aren't there by mistake. And I'm talking wide and varied. It could be that you're passionate about American muscle cars. Great, because the Lord needs somebody in that world to be salt and light, right? It could be that you're into knitting. It could be that you're into cat videos. I don't know, right? But what are the top three passions that you've got outside of the obvious ones, all right? What are the top three passions that you've got? Don't worry if they're sacred or secular because they're probably from the Lord. Write them down for me. The third one, injustices. So let me just talk about this. When you look around the world, see, we're all Christian, right? We have soft hearts. We get moved by a lot of things. You know, a lot of things upset us. But there would be some that upset us more than others. So... When you look around the world, what is it that really burns you? Like, there would be certain things that upset you. I mean, er like every injustice upsets me to some level. But there would be some that really, really, really get your back up above others. Let me give you my three, just so that you can understand exactly what I mean. The top three injustices for me are homelessness, for some reason. Oh, to me, it's like 2017, how can we have people that want to have a house? I understand not, not all the homeless want to have a house, but those, the, the 70 or 80% of them that are homeless because of the system, like domestic violence or you know, corruption or lost everything or gambling or whatever, 
surely we can fix that problem. So that really cuts me. But it's not my number one. My number two is, and th th this is why I'm giving you these, because they're not even closely linked. These are my top three. My second one is trachoma, which is an eye disease that indigenous people get. So indigenous people in Australia, they have this disease called trachoma. And what happens, their eyelids actually grow inside. So they flip, and then by blinking, they scratch their eyeball to the point where they go blind. And it's about $2.50 to fix it. Some steroids, it drops in their eye and it fixes it. And that's not my number one. This is how unique this is. This is why it's important. The number one thing that really cuts me, that keeps me awake at night, that would often bring me to tears, is this one. Christian entrepreneurs who have the power and the weight of the kingdom backing them, and they do nothing with that. They just run a standard secular business, give a little bit of money away, and they do not access the power that they, walk, that they chose to be part of. That's the thing that absolutely cuts me to the bone. And it makes total sense why that's, why that's the, what the Lord asked me to, to, you know, to do my bit to help out. Does that make sense? They are, there's no link between those three. They're all wide and varied, but that's the order how it is for me. What is it for you? What are the top three things that when you look around the world really, really cut you? All right, very good. Did you get three? You get three down? Great. I lied to you. I know I'm a Christian and I shouldn't, but I did. But the, the, the end result is worth the sin. <laughs> you only get to choose one. So out of those three right now, I want you to look at that list and answer the question to this. You, can, you, you will trade the rest of your life for that one injustice, and you can only do that one for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? All right, fourthly, the people group. So there's a certain grace on us to build rapport faster with certain groups than others. So for me, like if I could hang around any group of people for the rest of my life, it would be Christian business people, right? They're just my peeps. Like I, I just love hanging around Christian entrepreneurs. Throughout, to me, there's, they're, just, they're so excited. There's a buzz about them, yada, yada, yada. Um, but, I, but I get on well with quite a few groups. Funnily enough, I get on well with um, the aged, the, the elderly. I don't know if it's the beard. Maybe it's the beard, but, um, you know, that's why I do events with them. I, we, just get on, we just get on really, really well. They're looking at each other, scheming now. We've got to get him back. <laughs> so, you know, but then there are groups that I don't seem to fit into. Like, um, you know, like the blokes that talk footy. That's just not really my world. I mean, I, to me, AFL looks like somebody threw a chip in amongst a bunch of seagulls. <laughs> I'm nearer to the door than you. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like, the, anyway, all I'm saying is there's a certain grace that we have with some groups over others. Who are the people groups that you build rapport with fastest? Okay, I want you to jot those down. Who is it that really get you? Who do you really enjoy their company? Okay, what is that people group? Write them down now.
And lastly, if you were to think about the prophetic words that you've had over your life, if they're anything like mine, they're massively varied. They talk about a whole bunch of different topics, the different spheres of life. But there's usually some common threads. There's usually some patterns in amongst all of the prophetic words that tie them all together that are themes that are there for a reason. Now, if, you're not, if you haven't experienced prophetic great, then, then this is not going to be something that you add in the mix. But if you have, then I just want you to think through on the top of your mind the prophetic words that you had. What are the few things that really stand out to you that were common themes amongst everything that's been said? I want you to take a minute and jot those down now too. Very good. What you have in front of you is your answers to your blueprint. Somewhere in amongst all of the answers is exactly what the Lord is calling you to step out and start getting involved in. There's a reason why there are certain things that you find easy that others find hard. There's a reason for that. It was put inside your DNA before you were even born that you'd be gifted with those skills, right? There is a certain level of passions that you were given that were put inside of you that, that, that are itching to get out and get used. They were put inside of you in your DNA before you were ever put together, right? There are certain injustices and, and you get to choose one and trade it for the rest of your life. There are people groups that you get. There are prophetic words that keep coming and keep coming and keep coming for a reason because in amongst all of those things right in the nexus will be the, the kernel of your assignment. And it's simply up to you whether you will take the time to pull it apart, wrestle with it, seek the Lord and get started. It's up to you. You don't need to go through any more programs. You don't need to go and do anything else. You just need to take that list that you've just got, submit it to the Lord in your prayer time and say, show me, Lord, give me a dream, give me a vision, give me a word. What is it you want me to go and do? Is it this? Yep, great, go. You don't need to go and do another prayer meeting. You don't need to chase the next prophet coming through town. You just need to get started. What's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing is you start pursuing something that's not quite right. Would well, you think the Lord's going to punish you for doing some good work? But if you're stand still wondering, trying to scratch your blessed assurance, working out what it is, you go nowhere. If you even go in the wrong direction but start moving, the Lord can move you back to where he wants you to be. But standing still, doing nothing is a surefire way to get nothing done. Does that make sense? So how do you start? Well, we start small. You just start small. Just start small. Do not overcomplicate this. You start small. It will expand. You'll expand. You'll end up with more resources to put more in it. It'll expand. The Lord will bless it. It'll expand. It'll just expand. So many people are trying to think, oh, well, my assignment is this. I need to build YWAM by Friday. <laughs> you know, YWAM started by a dude having a coffee. It started small. And then it got out of hand. Does that make sense? It's the same with your assignment. The biggest mistake you can make is not do it. That's the biggest tragedy. You don't even need to worry about it. And please don't get caught in the thinking of, well, when we get here, I'll start doing my assignment. When we get profitable, when we do a million in turnover, I'll do my assignment. When I've bought my first house and three investment properties, two Ferraris and a motorbike, I'll start my assignment. And the Lord's going, 
So who's, what's this self-interest that, you, that you're talking to me about? It's, it's, it's the opposite spirit to the world's way. It doesn't make sense. It's counterculture. It's about others over ourselves. It's being our brother's keeper. Does that make sense? That's how you start this journey and you just start it small. Let me give you some examples very quickly. Somebody came to this event on the Gold Coast, the first one we ever did back in, I don't know, feels like ever, forever ago, maybe four years. And she says to me, oh, well, um, I don't know my assignment. I said, well, go and pray about it. Like, you did the exercise, don't tell me, it's your assignment, go work it out. She comes back to me in a week. She says, I think I've worked it out. She was a, a South African woman. She said, the, the real thing that cuts me, the injustices, the people groups, she goes, one of the things that really cuts me and keeps me up at night is these South African families who come over from South Africa, they come to Australia and they get a, they get a culture shock, right? They're used to having you know, servants and slaves and all that sort of stuff. They come here and they get a reality check. But what happens is the kids go to private school, the husband goes and starts 47 businesses because he's a South African, and, and the wife is usually at home going, what about me? You know, I can only clean the house for certain, like th there's just nothing for them. And this lady said, I feel like my assignment is to help those South African women assimilate into society because they get completely lost, get depression, want to go home. And I'm like, great, because it sounds to me like an assignment. She goes, but where do I start? I said, well, do you know one of these ladies? Yeah, I do. Can you make a cup of tea? Yeah, welcome to doing your assignment. <laughs> Call her up, go over her house or invite her to yours, make a cup of tea, sit down, chat. She's like, what, that easy? I'm like, yeah, that's it, start. She comes back to me next week, bouncing, full of beans, like, like as if she's just like led the whole world to the Lord, right? That's because she's doing the thing that's inside of her. Her faith makes sense. She goes, it felt, I felt like I was doing so much work for the Lord. I said, great, what's next? She says, I don't know. I said, well, could you get a couple more and bring them around for tea? Yeah, I could do that. Great. Next week, a few more ladies. Then she's like, and she's got a printing business, not even linked. Printing business starts getting big orders. She's like, hmm, this is pretty crazy. Then she starts taking them for high tea, puts on these beautiful events, makes them feel really, really special. It really speaks into the lives of these women. And some of them are coming to Christ and, yeah, you know, like, and now, now she's busy. She's busy hosting events and, and helping people out. And some of these women want to go and get jobs and she's helping them. Like, there's a guy not far from here in Dandenong. All right? That's not far from here, I'm assuming, right? Somewhere near the mountains or something. <laughs> He's got, his name is Nigel and he is a mechanic. And he was struggling with his assignment. You know, like I, I taught it to him. He, he wanted to do it, sounded good, didn't know what it was. And I said to him, I said, well, do the exercise, drill it down for me. What is it? What is it that cuts you? What is it you want to do? What do you want to see changed? He said, there are a bunch of kids coming through as mechanics now who finish their apprenticeship and they're absolutely useless. They don't know how to use a broom, don't know what end to use. They can't put a sentence together. You know, they, they anyway, he said, I, I just feel like I want to get these kids, speak life into them and make them so so much better skill that they'll be able to go and get really good jobs. Great, because then it means they can provide for their family, which means they've got income, which means you know, they're less susceptible to the system failing them, like it's a change in culture. Anyway, he goes, what do I do? I said, well, do you know a handful of them? He goes, yeah, I employ two and I'll get them to bring a bunch of their friends. He goes, so all he did, and he started three months ago, that's why I'm trying to give you it at such an embryonic stage. Three months ago, he called five millennials to his factory and he put on pizza, coffee, you know, Coke, whatever. And he taught them for one hour. The and, they, and they came to him at the end and said, you taught me more than one hour I got in the whole of trade school. Practical stuff that's going to make them a better mechanic so they can go and get better jobs to provide for their family, right? This is, 
it, it's cost him like, I said to him, what did it cost you the first night? He goes, oh, like 40 bucks. And then he's done it second month and he's doing it third month. And he's going to keep going. It'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Who knows where that leads? Who knows? He's starting an entire new trade school. And, you know, like, it, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so if I haven't convinced you, I'm going to use the last weapon in my arsenal, and that is guilt. <laughs> <coughs> I have no problem using any strategy to get you to do what you, you want to do, right? See, the Bible's full of stories of people on assignment. You read the Bible, it's, it's people on assignment that were got given a directive from the Lord. And some did, most didn't. Some had a good crack and it kind of fell over. And we read about them right the way from the beginning. You know, Moses, go back into Egypt and get my people out. Right? And he goes and does that. He says to Joseph, you know, he gives him dreams and says, you know, we'll take your right to be the governor of the land. And he goes and does that. <clears throat> he says to Esther, become queen and save the Jews from King Xerxes, who was going to take them right out. Okay? He says to Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach against wickedness. Does that make sense? He says to the Apostle Paul, take this gospel to the Jew, the Gentile, and the king. And Paul does it effortlessly. Well, maybe not effortlessly, but, but he executes perfectly on his assignment. You know, the prophetic word to him was, take the gospel all the way to Rome, all the way to Caesar. And he could have bowed out with Agrippa when he was copping floggings. He could have put his hand up and said, I'm Roman, you can't touch me. But he didn't because the assignment on his life was to take the gospel all the way into the heart of Rome, right? And he could have bowed out, but he didn't. He stuck to it, copped the floggings, went all the way to Caesar and executed on it. The assignment for Jesus, go to, go to earth, show them my new kingdom, die an ugly death and reconcile man back to me. The assignment time and time again just goes like this. Wes Hone, build a training academy for Christian entrepreneurs and dedicate your life to raising up Christians to get money and do their assignment. But what about yours? What happens if you don't? What happens if you don't? See, so there's going to be a time when you stand face to face with the Lord. He's going to go, righto, he's going to get a plasma out and he's going to show your life. I'd be very awkward if you stand there going, oh, well, but um, yeah, you know, like, um, yeah, no, well, you know, psh, yeah, well, it was hard. And um, there was, um, well, um, yeah, uh, ooh. Uh, that's a horrible conversation that, you, that you're going to have to have. I want a different one where you go, Lord, I played Fallout. Yeah, I made mistakes, but I played Fallout. And I'll have a mansion up on the hill, and you'll have a little duplex down there somewhere, and I'll throw stones or something. The choice is really yours, but just like Dave's story in the army, if he didn't do what he had to do, that, you know, there, were, there were people counting on him. There are people counting on you doing yours. It's really that simple. And you're going to have to account for that at the end of your life. And you may want to consider that because all the good deeds in the world will get burned up if you didn't do the one that he asked you to do. Okay? All right. If I get three chairs, Dave and John will go to some Q&A and we'll, we'll do that. All right, back through your notes very quickly. What were the top three things that jumped out to you, please? What were the top three things that jumped out to you, please? Please. 